Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Just testing you, Warren. Just testing you. Um, how is the Karoo this evening? It is uh, absolutely fantastic, Bruce. It's uh, The sky is clear. It's been warm. So, so lovely. Thank you for asking. Okay, excellent. I hope that it stays that way. Um, tell me about this idea of working backwards to reach financial freedom. How do we work backwards? I thought you know, this financial freedom thing was forward-looking and planning and thinking ahead. How do we do it backwards? I think the, the one of the difficulties a lot of people have with with uh, financial planning, especially working towards financial freedom, is when they do a, a calculation to to work out you know, what they need to do and how much money they need to have by the time they they want to get to this, you know, fabled financial freedom goal. They, they realize it's an, an enormous number. You know, whatever it is relative to their own lives, it just feels like this absolute mountain of of money that they need to accumulate. And I think a lot of people feel, uh, you know, quite hopeless about uh, about the, the goals and the, and the calculations that they do, and and especially when when it's you know some some financial advisor sitting there and showing them on a really complicated sort of financial model about what they need to do and how much they need to save, uh, and 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 what what I find is people in a situation like that often just give up. You know, they often just you know kind of close the close the laptop and walk away and just carry on with life for another few years, um, and and so for me to say you know to to work backwards from your goal, you, you know, I, I think the idea there is to say, you know, that that, that old kind of cliche of, you know, how, how do you eat? I mean, it sounds terrible, but how do you eat an elephant? And you do it one bite at a time. Uh, and I think we're we're in the same situation around money. You've got to you've got to look at this and say, I'm not going to focus on this massive goal. I, I'm going to I'm going to do a calculation to say, uh, when I want to, when I when I want to reach financial freedom, I'm going to take my annual expenses as they are today. And I'm going to times them by, you know, anywhere between 20 to 25 times, because uh, that will give me the number that I need. And, and the reason why there's a range is simply, uh, you know, if you're, if you want to reach financial freedom, relatively young and 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 uh, w- with respect to you and me, Bruce, r- relatively young is somewhere around age 45. Uh, then I think you know twenty five times your annual expenses make sense. But if you're if you're saying to yourself, I'm happy to get to to financial freedom at somewhere around age sixty five, then you can you can do twenty times your your annual expenses. And and whoever you are um, and however much you spend, it's going to be a big number. And I know it's going to be scary, uh, but but that's not the point to give up. What you then need to do is you need to say. Let me take the number of years that I've still got to work, and I'm going to divide that big goal by that number of years. So if you if you've got another ten years of work uh, left in you, then you say, well, my, my big number, and just for argument's sake, say it's twenty million rand. You, you, you say, well, it's uh, you know twenty million rand divided by ten, and and now it's two million rand, and that's still going to be a, a big number. But then you divide that by twelve to start getting to to your your uh, monthly amount. And and suddenly that you know the amounts get smaller. They're still going to be big, but but it starts to become something that you can work backwards from your big goal to to small goals that you start on today. And and the idea there is not to say that you know if you need to save two million rand a year that you do that in year one when you're only earning five hundred thousand rand a year. It's just to say that you need to start working towards reducing that two million goal uh, by the amount that you are saving. So if you can save a hundred thousand a year, then you're you're starting to progress to to that two million goal. And and it's all about progress. It's all about rates of change and the way you move yourself forward. 
uh, once you've once you've done the backwards calculation. Confusing this idea or not? Of, no, no, not at all. This idea of capitulation is such a real one because people get given a big fat number and be told, okay, you're going to need 25 times your current expenses and your current expenses are 250,000 rand a year. So 25 times 250,000, help me out here quickly, Warren Ingram, is you know, 7 or 8 million rand or thereabouts. And they go, hold on a second, but I earn 200,000, you know, I earn 250,000 rand a year. How on earth am I meant to... Um, have 8 million by the time I retire. It's just not a feasible goal. And it is this idea of breaking it into the bite-sized chunks that begins to make it achievable and tangible in the eyes of, of, of the smart few. Exactly right. So, so, you, so I'm, I'm sorry, I was a bit slow there. So, your number would be six and a quarter million if, you, you. if you're going to spend that. Uh, so, so, and, and then maybe let's use that as a, a as the example. So, so what you want to do is every year you want to redo that calculation because, unfortunately, as we all know, with inflation, our, our, our expenses don't. Uh, stay the same, and therefore that that six and a quarter million rand, when you redo the calculation for yourself next year, will be slightly higher. But what you want to do is you want to say, well, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, uh, you know, when I do the calculation today, I need six and a quarter million rand worth of savings, but I but I already have a million rand worth of savings, so my gap is five and a quarter million. Next year, you redo the calculation, and and the the if you're going in the right direction. Uh, that that gap has you know gone from 5.25 million and hopefully you've got it down to 5 million or 4.75 you, you know wh- whatever it is that you're able to save and that's what you need to know is you need to know that that gap is shrinking year after year after year uh, and and it should be shrinking by by the number of years you plan to, to, to you know you plan to continue working so in other words if you say well um, you, you know I'm, I'm managing to shrink my goal by 300,000 rand a year uh, and I've got three million rand to save. Th- then you know, okay, I've got I've got ten years uh, to go. Uh, the the one thing about money is, w- once we start to accumulate it, um, it starts. You know, th- this money, if it's well invested, it starts to make money babies. And and you know, th- and the, the mathematicians call that compounding. So so the goal seems massive in the early days, but it's amazing how quickly that goal starts to diminish. The more money you've got invested, and the more you add to that on a monthly and yearly basis. But this the only way of, this concept of compounding is such an important one please try and explain it in simple terms because and and we're going to do it hopefully in july with julia um i'm hoping julia will be amenable because i'm I'm curious as to see where she is in her money life julia our super saver who we've been following for nearly 10 years now um and and she is a great example of compounding because she stopped adding to her south african investments and they're growing despite the fact that she's ignoring them Absolutely. So, so, so to, to use the example of compounding, when you it takes forever for anybody to start uh, to start building up uh, investment assets. Well, I say forever; it feels like forever. But but let's just get to the point of uh, you manage to save your first hundred thousand rands of in, of investments, and it might take you a couple of years to do that. But but what's interesting about that hundred thousand rand is if you if you leave it invested and it grows at at let's say ten percent, then with you doing nothing, not adding to it at all, uh, after a year your hundred thousand rand is now worth one hundred and ten thousand rand, uh, and and if you leave it again and it grows by another ten percent, you know then you're sitting on somewhere around one hundred and twenty one thousand rand. So so it doesn't take all that long before before your hundred thousand rand is you know is kind of almost double after probably. Six or seven years, uh, and 
and you know it doesn't then take long when, when you get to the point of of having a million rand invested and all of a sudden your million rand is generating a hundred thousand rand so so that that concept of of money growing on itself is is a is a real mathematical thing it's it's something that that people can only see once they leave their investments um, and, and and let them continue growing and and I think the, the key here because I know people will be listening to say well hang on you know uh, you know since the start of January in 2022 my investments have gone backwards because everything's down I, I understand and I agree, but but it's important to have the longer term focus here. And that and that longer term focus is when markets are shooting up and falling down and and, and feel like you're going nowhere. The the longer you stay invested, the more that ten percent becomes a reality. Because although markets might be going backwards in in this year, they, they weren't going backwards in the last year or two before that. Uh, and over long periods of time, they do tend to give you, especially stock markets, will give you around about that sort of ten to twelve percent uh, growth. And that's the point: is you, you want to give it time to, to to allow that growth to keep growing on itself. Uh, and and you, you know then you take compounding, add it to you know your your incremental small targets that you give yourself, and all of a sudden you start to make real progress. But but it just takes a bit of application. And and I think the real key for me in in all of this is you've got to do this calculation for yourself. It's something that you know it does. It, I mean, if I can understand this, I promise you, it's not difficult for anybody else to to understand that the math the math here is is simple. And I was certainly not a math genius at at school. So so the reason why I say you've got to do it yourself is because it's got to be something you believe in. It's got to be something you take ownership of. No financial planner, no spreadsheet, and no tool can ever give you the faith that you will give yourself once you start to, to make this real for, for you. And, and I think that's the key here is it's, it's, it's got to be something that you take ownership of. Thanks for that, Warren. I think it's a really important conversation. But uh, a listener's question from Roger this week. Um, he says, I've got a good career. I've been fortunate to, have, uh, to accumulate some capital to take care of my family. My wife has the tougher job. She's a home executive and takes care of the family. I'm worried that she may not have access to enough cash if I die because most of the investments are in my name and in my pension fund. I also have life cover in place. I would like her to have access to a cash lump sum that covers the household expenses for as long as possible while she waits for the life cover to pay out and the estate to be finalized. What should I do to make that happen? And estates take, in even when things are working well in South Africa, estates take at least a year to wind up. In most cases, I'm told they're taking a lot longer to do that. Um, and you don't want your family left destitute. So a thoughtful Roger's question this evening, an answer to that one, Roger. Well asked. Thank you very much for that. With Warren in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Part of planning for life, unfortunately, involves planning for death because apparently it happens to everybody at some point. I'm it's going to be the last thing that happens to me. I tell you that much, Warren Ingram. Now, tell me, Warren, um, this uh, a very thoughtful note from Roger about not wanting to leave his family high and dry should he die and uh, leave them without his monthly income. Uh, he's got life cover. And then he wants his estate to be finalized as soon as possible. How does he make sure that his family has cash flow while his estate is wound up? It's actually uh, uh, such a brilliant question because, you know, someone like Roger would be saying, uh, you know, I've done everything I need to do. I've got 
I've got savings, I've got investments, I've got life cover, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, uh, but, but he, he, he cannot always count on, on the government officials on the other side of this equation doing their job in a timeliest fashion. And, and I think, you, you know, the, you, you, you've, you mentioned before that, uh, you know, winding up of estates takes, takes a long time anyway. And in the last couple of years, that you know that that duration, if it if it was a year before, it seems to be taking double the amount of time, uh, and and so for for people in a position where one spouse has most of the investments in their name, I, I think the the key here is to make sure that that the other spouse then then at least has access to to uh, let's just say cash as an example so so you know we, we would always be saying on the show you know make sure you've got an emergency fund and, and it's somewhere around three to six months worth of your expenses if one of the two spouses is is the is a salary earner then the non-salary earner should be the one who has that emergency fund in their name and the reason for that is that they have access to that money because it's an it's an account that they own it's it's an account that they control uh, and they don't need uh, you, you know to go and get a death certificate or or some kind of proof that 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 their spouse has passed away they, or died. Let me say, they, then uh, you know they can access that money immediately and start to cover their family expenses for the next three to six months. So so definitely, first point here is make sure that uh, you, you know that that at least one spouse has has that uh, that emergency fund. I think the second thing to understand is that any life policy uh, um, is not subject to to the whole master's office process, so it doesn't go through the whole probate thing. So if you want to, if 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 a, a husband has died and he was the breadwinner, then and he's got a policy on his life, um, and and he's nominated his wife as the beneficiary, she can take his death certificate and and send it to the life assurance company, and and uh, as long as they process that claim correctly, um, that that money should be paid to to her within let's say a month or two as long as she's provided all the documentation that's needed so so while the master's office is you know grinding their way through it the the, the wife will then be able to access uh, the, the money in, in a life policy and a similar thing would apply bruce to to something like an endowment which although it's an investment is actually considered to be a life policy so so one of the things i would always say is if you if you want more money than just the, the the money sitting in your emergency fund to be invested in your spouse's name, then an endowment is a great idea because because then that will also be treated as a life policy and will also pay out to to your spouse you know in a very short order you know kind of a month or two at most uh, as long as the, the the death certificate has been provided. So so I think that you know that's a really practical way to to overcome this. But you know as time goes on, I, I would say both spouses should should try and build up investments in their own. Names, uh, you know, you know, as they they have the capability to do it, it makes sense when one spouse is not earning a taxable salary anyway, because you know her tax rates will be lower. She'll be able to earn more interest or dividends or capital gains without paying a, a lot of tax. So, so preference would be that you know the, the high tax paying spouse. Uh, you know, has re- retirement funds, and and then the balance of the discretionary investments, which are not retirement funds, sits in the low ta- tax paying spouse's name. Yeah, and it's again, it's, this is uh, quite high level financial planning. It, this isn't as simple as just simply making your uh, giving some having some life insurance and putting and buying the products. It is about structuring your life and and thinking about what your life would be like should one of you not be there anymore. And in the interim period, and because there's a lot of barbarism that goes with death. I mean, just uh, I find it deplorable how long it takes to wind up to estates. I find the freezing of bank accounts, particularly where there are codependents um, in, in relationships. And it's, it's just you know, you've got to really work hard to outsmart a dysfunctional system. 
Absolutely, and I think there's a. It always feels to me like a distinct lack of humanity on the on the side of the officials, you know, dealing with this. Where, you know, if 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 a husband and wife have a joint bank account, or you know, the, the husband's always had the bank account in his name, uh, and and his only beneficiary on his will is his wife. You, you know, you would think that officials would would apply their minds to this rather quickly and say, you know, let let's make sure that she's not left financially destitute, even though the family have a lot of money, uh, and and let's make sure she can she can access some some expenses and, and you know even executives of estates you know, you know they're, they're often you know overworked and and again you know don't necessarily apply enough thought and humanity to, to taking care of people in, in a short space of time you know in the, in the immediate sort of aftermath of of the spouse's death and, and I, I agree with you I think it's a really horrible process so, so you know doing your planning correctly yourselves and, and putting that that control of cash flow in your own hands makes all the sense in the world and and it won't insulate you completely from dealing with official dim but certainly Certainly, you know, it'll make it much less stressful when you know you've got enough money to, to fund yourself for the next six or 12 or 18 months while everything else is happening. And I think that, you know, that that's where the life assurance industry is valuable. I've never been a big fan, but but certainly that is where, where it adds a huge amount of value to people's lives. Yeah, exactly right, Warren. And thank you for that, because you, you've, got, you've really got to have your wits about you in this process. And thank you, Roger, very, very much for highlighting it, um, because it is an issue that everybody needs to be aware of. You cannot um, be on your deathbed or, you know, under the bus or whatever it is. And your last thought being, oh, dear, I should have, could have, would have. Oh, didn't have time. Damn it. Um, what is an interest rate exemption? Interest income exemption, I think it's called, not interest rate exemption, interest income exemption. You know, we get so few uh, legal breaks from SARS, and this is one of them. So, so all of us as as taxpayers can earn a certain amount of interest every year without having to pay tax on that interest. And if you're under the age of sixty five, you're you're allowed to earn the princely sum of twenty three thousand eight hundred rand per year in interest before you would uh, would ne- they need to start paying tax. If you're older than sixty five, th- that number goes up considerably to to thirty four thousand. 500. So, uh, you, you know, a, a key number to understand that if you've got, you know, a husband and wife, for example, with, with a fair amount of cash, that they should both have, uh, um, you know, interest bearing accounts because then that, that number between them would then, you know, a, a double. So, so definitely something to take advantage of, you know, for, for your emergency funds and the like. Obviously, I'm not re- recommending that everyone keep all their money in cash. But, you know, that's a terrible idea. But, but uh, interest income exemption is, is that, that first gap where you don't pay tax. And, and certainly, you know, something to be aware of and, and definitely to take advantage of when you're, when you're in a relationship. Thank you very much, Warren Ingram. Warren is an executive director at Galileo Capital. He is also a personal financial advisor. Thank you very much for your valuable input this evening.